Colossians is actually a pretty special book um, to me as of late. Um, Colossians is actually part of the reason that we're in Utah. Um, as we visited, um, oh gosh, March of 22, I went out and visited. Um, I woke up one of the mornings and for some reason just read through the entire book. And um, that same morning, my now senior pastor, uh, Ryan, had read through the same thing. And so we met at the church and we we're talking about stuff. And um, I was like, hey, uh, what do you do with uh, this, you know, chapter two? kind of hitting me a little bit different. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I read the exact same thing this morning. And that was kind of the start of like just the Lord placing a bunch of different things um, of confirmations that God was calling us to move across the country and there. Um, but I want to take you, if, if you want to flip back, you can. It's Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. And it's actually, as I was reading through, really the thing that softened my heart for Utah um, and specifically um, because our ministry is surrounded um, by the LDS Church and like pretty much all of our friends are, um, really softened my heart for, for them. Um, it says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, including, or intruding, sorry, into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. And it really kind of hit me that, um, well, if you know the origins of the LDS faith, um, Joseph Smith was given tablets by an angel, um, Moroni. Uh, so there is kind of that worship of angels kind of hanging out there. Um, and it's a, it's a religion that generally breeds a lot of expectation, um, the expectation of perfection, honestly. Um, which makes it a pretty tough place to minister in um, because the part that, that you don't always think about that goes along with that is there's a lot of depression. Um, and it's a pretty heavy place to do ministry. I mean, in fact, we've lost, what, five high school students in the year and a half that we've been there um, through our town. Oh, sorry, that was weird. <laughs> I've apparently gotten soft in a year and a half. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so obviously the Lord has given us a heart <laughs> um, for the people and for the youth. I'm going to jump my notes a little bit, but <clears throat> one of the things that um, we often, when we look at, you know, apologetics and living the life as a believer, um, I think one of the unfortunate byproducts, um, having been raised in the church and just going to church every, you know, every Sunday for my entire life, um, it's easy to get puffed up in us being right, um, especially for myself. And so I think being around, we had been there in Utah. Um, a couple years before, well, it's like six years before that, um, doing missions and, and actually going to Colorado City is a fundamentalist um, town, so they're still uh, polygamist, and it's, it's a crazy situation, honestly. Um, but doing the ministry and, and kind of just walking around like, man, like it, it's just wrong. Um, but the Lord reminding me, specifically as I was reading through Colossians at that, at that place, um, 
that really what you're dealing with is a lot of people that have been confused. Um, a lot of people that have been given something that's higher. You know, this is a new calling. It's a fresh vision. Um, they're founded on a fresh vision from the Lord. Um, unfortunately, I do not believe it is from the Lord. <laughs> um, and so it's, it, it really, the, the Lord kind of spoke to me in that passage of they're disconnected from the head. Who's the head? The head is Christ. And so we live in an area that is very Jesus-friendly, um, but unfortunately that Jesus is a different Jesus than I have a relationship with um, and is taught a very different Jesus, which makes a very different culture. Um, and so, yeah, the last, last year and a half has been a softening of our hearts, um, has been a reminder of what's true. <laughs> And I think an encouragement um, of what it really looks like to be a believer in Jesus and just live our lives. So if you want to flip to uh, chapter 4 of Colossians, um, verse 2 through 6 is where we're going to be um, looking at specifically. We're going to pray again. <laughs> Hopefully I won't break again. That was fun. But Lord, as we come before you, um, Father, we thank you that, um, that you love us. Lord, we thank you that we have a a genuine and a deep relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would call us to where you would have us to be this evening. Um, Lord, whether we're watching at home, um, whether we are in the sanctuary, um, whether this floats around in the internet and someone finds it later on. Um, Lord, as we look to your word each and every time, Father, you speak to us. It's a living word. Um, it's not just right and ritual. Um, we, we know that you speak. And so, Father, we just ask that your word would do its work, Lord, knowing that um, you are the one with the power to change. You are the one that will speak and encourage. You are the one that will correct the places that need to be corrected. So, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. And so this is towards the end, again, of the letter that Paul has written. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the letter is to... Um, the church of, of Colossae, I think I'm saying that right. Um, the thing that's interesting, though, is it's one of the places Paul didn't go to. Um, we know the book of Romans is a letter written to a church that Paul had not yet met, um, and so is this letter. And so often when Paul is writing to a group of people, he hasn't had a chance to be there and teach a lot of the things. It, there's a ton of theology packed into each of the little pieces um, just making sure that they knew what was right and, and trying to get out, like, this is what's important. Um, and so as he's finishing, uh, it, it's, a, it's a section that really encapsulates our entirety of our ministry, <laughs> the entire ministry of, of Utah as a, as a state, um, of all the, there are a few um, Christian churches, there's a couple other Calvaries as well, south and north of us. Um, but it's really just, this is, this is the life in Utah. And so it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, and meanwhile praying for us also, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, and let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, 
that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So the first thing that we see is that Paul is assuming that we're praying, which he had talked about a little bit earlier, but still, um, I think that's, that's something important to point out. Um, not just praying, but praying earnestly um, about the things that we need, about the situations that we walk into, and then the reminder to pray with thanksgiving. I think sometimes, especially in difficult situations, we read that Paul is in prison right now in his chains. Um, there's a lot to be upset about. <laughs> um, if we look about the world around us, as he says, you know, redeeming the time, uh, there's a lot that's wrong. And it's easy, I think, for us to forget to be thankful, forget to pray not just for the things that I need. I need this to get through, or I don't know how I'm going to get through those things. And that's not Paul discounting the necessity to cry out to the Lord and the power that God meets us when we do cry out to Him. Um, honestly, like pretty much everything David ever wrote is a crying out to the Lord to save him um, from himself, from his physical enemies, from the enemy, you know. Um, and so he's not... He's not discounting that at all, but he's reminding that as you are praying, as you continue to pray, make sure that you are praying in thankfulness, in gratitude for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do. You know, we think about seasons of discouragement. I'm not a journaling person, and I wish that I was because it would probably help. Um, but in seasons of discouragement, if you're a journaler, to be able to go back and look at all the prayers prayed and all the times that God did answer those things, and to be able to look back on, on the times of, of really feeling like there is no way of escape, that the world will literally crash around us. The Lord always is in the middle of it. And so I, I do think that Paul is reminding them to pray with thanksgiving because it's the thing that Paul is probably clinging to while being in prison, while being kept from what he wants to do, while not really for sure how the situation is going to end, needing to stay in a place of thanksgiving because if we don't stay in a place of thanksgiving, it's really easy to feel very sorry for ourselves and miss out on what God is trying to do through us. And so to start is continue to pray, pray with thanksgiving. And meanwhile, while you're there, please pray for us, <laughs> um, which is Paul writing, and I concur. Um, please pray for us as well. <laughs> um, the thing that's, that's kind of cool is that I would say pray pretty much the same thing. If you just pray the same thing, it would be great. <laughs> it fits exactly where we're at as well. You know, what is Paul asking? He's asking, A, for an opportunity that the Lord would open a door for the Word, that He might be able to speak the mystery of Christ. And that's kind of an interesting phrase. Being a mystery is, you know, Scooby-Doo, what's going on? Um, but the, the mystery of Christ, especially for, you know, for the Jewish believer, would be Christ is hidden all through the Old Testament and all of everything that they would have known and recited for years and years and years. And to finally be able to see that and look back and it all clicked together is the mystery of Christ, um, as well as for the Gentile, um, or for those that would not have had the word at all, even the Old Testament, the mystery of life. 
think all of us at any given moment wander around like, what is going on? I don't understand anything. It doesn't make any sense. Why, why are we here? What is our purpose? What are we supposed to do? Um, what am I supposed to invest in? You know, no, whatever. You know, like there is that, that feeling of helplessness that we all get. Um, even as believers, thankfully, we're encouraged by knowing that Christ is enough and that Christ will meet us and that even if we have nothing, that we will have eternity with him. And so for an unbeliever, for someone who came from a, a different background, finding hope, the mystery of Christ, that Christ is revealed, that he is the answer, that all of those questions and those those hurtings and the things that, that maybe you don't talk about or that we process in our minds that Jesus is the answer. And so Paul is asking that the Lord would give him the opportunity to speak the word, the opportunity to reveal Christ in the situation. That's the reason why he's in chains. We get that, that I make manifest or that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, um, that he might be able to, to speak well, to see the opportunity and to step into it to realize that this is an opportunity to share Jesus, whether by word or by action or by service, that I might share Jesus. And either in, in the gospel, straightforward, or share what Jesus has done in his life, or I imagine if he's praying with thanksgiving, why in the world are you thankful as you are in prison? <laughs> like, why are you not angry and bitter? Why are you not trying to run away all the time? Like, why are you different? To always be ready. And then he kind of shifts. So he's assuming that we're praying, reminding us to continue to pray, and to be thankful as we pray that our hearts would be right. And then he continues with instruction. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer one another. And I think that that list is on purpose. You know, to start to walk in wisdom. What is wisdom? It's earned. <laughs> no, wisdom is, is not just knowing something, but having lived it. Um, being able to, to really take information and, and understand what it means. And so where do we find wisdom? We find wisdom often, we find wisdom in the Lord. That's where we should. <laughs> and we find that wisdom usually by failing pretty miserably and then seeing, ah, oh, I get it now. <laughs> That's what God was trying to show me. <laughs> Sometimes we get it faster. You know, the Lord shows us something. We're like, yes, Lord, okay. And then we walk in and we're like, wow, that was really cool. That made a lot of sense. I'm glad I listened. Um, Maybe that's your experience. God bless you. Um, <laughs> most of my experience is probably knowing what I think the Lord is saying, walking the other way because I'm generally prideful, recognizing it didn't work, being slow to admit that I was wrong, and then finally being like, all right, Lord. Um, <laughs> my wife's laughing too hard. But um, no, but, but wisdom and, and I think it's, it's more than just wisdom. It's wisdom in the Lord. As, as he's saying, look, you know, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. And that is those who are outside of the church. And that does imply that we are around people who are outside of the church. Um, he's, he's really reminding us that 
the way that we look at things isn't always right. And so the Lord has his wisdom that he wants to give to us so that we might use that with the people that we're around. You know, walking in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, recognizing that life is insane and people need Jesus and that we need to be invested in people's lives in order to share Jesus with them, in order for them to hear it at all. And so as I read through, you know, I I really, it kind of connects me backwards. You know, again, a lot of times we're taught in apologetics to just fight, like to argue. Um, It's not the point of it. The point of apologetics is to learn and understand what you believe, so to firm up your foundation in what you believe, to realize that other people believe something different and have enough of an understanding that you can have a real conversation and talk about things. Um, Unfortunately, I think often we see, and I know I'm guilty of it myself, is, well, I know the right answer and you don't, and so we either butt heads and fighting over the right answer, or I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to have this conversation because it's just going to be dumb. Um, and so I really think what, what Paul is encouraging us is to walk, again, in wisdom, so using our wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Because life is crazy, we need to be invested and we need to be sharing Jesus in a way that people will actually receive. Why? Because he encourages us to make sure that our speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt. And I like to look at that phrase, seasoned with salt, as like a conversation seasoned with Jesus and Jesus' wisdom. Because I think a lot of times we forget that if we are walking with the Lord and the Lord is continually speaking to us, that our perspectives on all of the hot topics of the world around us our perspectives on how we manage our finances, our perspectives on how we you know, love our spouses, our perspectives on how we parent, our perspectives on all of these basic life functions are completely different because they're all impacted by the gospel. That's what God has called us to do, is to be impacted by the gospel, allowing that to really settle in our hearts that Jesus is the answer that he has come to to give us life that means something. That we're not just here to raise a family because we're supposed to and have a house and have a car and work a job and do all these things until we can retire and then slowly ease into life with Jesus forever. But that Jesus has come, that we might have hope, that we might be a, a part of his work, sharing what Jesus has done in our lives and impacting those people, that they would see that it's not just a Sunday, Wednesday kind of a thing. We don't just show up and all together have like a random book club um, on a Sunday morning, you know, singing songs that somehow go with it, and then we like leave and go to lunch wherever we go, but that this is a life that Jesus has called us to walk with him with, that he that he's with us and we're with him, and, and our entirety of our life is shaped by who he is and who God is calling us to be. And that as that person interacts with the world around them, that his wisdom would be just kind of pouring off of us, adding salt, right? Adding flavor. Salt adds flavor. It enhances what's already there. It preserves, right? We know that we are preserved because of Christ. 
that we will get to be with him forever, but full of grace. The world is going to act like the, the world. They, they're not going to act like the church. They're not going to look like the church. They're not going to care about the things that the church cares about. We're going to have differencing of opinions, but we get to be involved in each other's lives. We get to be a difference by really just sharing what God has done for us first. Why do I think that differently? It's funny. Um, I play a lot of video games, which generally is frowned upon culturally. However, I will say, I've had some of the deepest theological conversations playing Rocket League. You can ask Hector. He's over there. Uh, <laughs> but we play together. He's my cousin. Sorry. Uh, but but it, it's, it's interesting just some of the conversations that you can have, just like hanging out with people, right? And, you know, uh, there, was, there was a friend that we were playing, and we were talking about, um, you know, uh, what does it look like to be a husband? And there was some differencing of opinions. And I was just walking them through, like, hey, I think this is what God has called me to be. Um, you know, I think God has called, you know, obviously, like scripturally, a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And that's pretty rough. <laughs> that's hard. You know, that's, that's a high calling. Um, as Christ was sacrificial and, and a servant and like didn't complain and you know all these different things you know and, and talking through you you get those kinds of conversations when you're involved in someone's life and when jesus is involved in your life your life just looks a little bit different he continues let your speech be with grace we talked about that seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer it implies that our first answer might not be the best answer. And I think that's why he talks about prayer first. He's assuming that we're praying. And if we're praying, what's the point of prayer? Honestly, I think my favorite definition is prayer is the aligning of will. Prayer is the aligning of my will with God's will. And so that I might understand God's will for the situation. And so if I'm praying and I'm seeking the Lord then as I'm around in the world and walking around and doing my thing, and whether it's at Walmart at the checkout or it's my coworkers at work or friends that you know, go way back, that my life would be changed by Jesus and that I would get to share what Jesus is doing in my life and that that might open a door for the gospel so that I might reveal the mystery of Jesus to others around me. So like I said, this really is the epitome of our ministry. It's a small town. There's not a lot going on. We don't even have a midweek service. Um, so, like, I mean, our week, like, we go to church on Sunday, and then we do youth at the church now, but it used to be not at the church. And we do uh, an educational nonprofit um, called The Refuge. We run a youth rec center um, for middle school and high school age kids. Um, all of them are, I don't, well, there's maybe a couple that go to our church. There's a couple that are LDS, and kind of a lot of them are just bouncing around, like trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and so providing a, a safe space for them to hang out and not get themselves into trouble, um, but also just being able to be 
positive adult interaction in their life as many of our refuge kids, which if you end up watching, we love you, um, but you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> a lot of them don't have very strong parental figures or adult figures in their life at all. Um, so most of our ministry happens outside of church walls. Most of our ministry is hanging out with people and having game nights, or I now can't go to Walmart without seeing some three or four people that I know, not even just one, and having small conversations here and there um, and really just sharing our lives. And I think that's been the biggest shift for us. And one of the things that, that again, the Lord has really just changed the perspective, partially because being in Wichita, um, I really, I don't really have that many friends that aren't involved in church or aren't serving in a church somewhere else. And so that was a little bit of a change of the Lord kind of dropping us in the middle of nowhere, um, having known like three or four people and kind of like make new relationships. <laughs> um, and in doing so, recognizing that, that God is, is, is honestly doing most of his ministry outside of here. Like this is, this is a refueling station. I think if we think about it like that, it, it probably benefits us a little bit more. This is to be recharged, to encourage one another. We also know that we meet together as a church because God called us to, um, to not forsake the fellowship, knowing that God will speak through each of us to each other at times, that God will speak over the pulpit through his word, that God will speak through worship, um, that God will speak in the hallways, just in the interactions. It's important to be integrated into church and fellowshipping with one another. In fact, Jesus says, uh, oh gosh, I think it's John 15, that you would be known by your love for one another, that they would know that you are my, dis my disciple by the way that you love each other. And so Jesus expects us to meet together. It's, it's part of the Christian walk. But after we've met together, we're called to go out and to be light and salt of the world by our lives. I think one of the things, too, that's really interesting that you can miss at first, but it's that last phrase that Paul asks when he's saying, hey, pray for me. The mystery of... Well, we're, Three, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chain, that I, may make, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There's a tone of Paul's expectation that God will speak through him and that there are specific situations that God has called Paul to. That's not just for Paul. That is not just for pastoral staff, for worship leaders. That is for every single believer. I genuinely, truly believe that. That God has placed you individually, specifically, in people's lives to be the gospel. To speak the gospel. There are so many places that your life leads you that... Patrick cannot be. There's so many places that God will call you and relationships that you will have that Rob, they don't want Rob. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 
God has called each of us specifically, individually, and has placed us into situations on purpose. He doesn't do anything by accident. And, and we don't need to have a title. We don't need to have years of Bible college. I don't have those either. <laughs> um, we don't need to have any of that. The disciples, they all came from weird places. Some of them were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. He's just a traitor. Like, there's nothing. He's a horrible dude compared to the rest of them, you know? You've got all these random guys from different places, not including the rest of the crowds of people that were still continually following him that just weren't the 12, of all different walks of life. And Jesus, over the course of his life's ministry, sends the 12 out. He sends out even more. Like, he's, his expectation like is you walk with me i'm gonna send you out i'm going to send you into the little places and and i want you to be me and so i I really just being in utah our, our life and our ministry ends up being more about our daily life than it does a church gathering which is pretty challenging because if i road rage Everyone knows who I am. <laughs> if I'm in Walmart and I completely ignore it, because it's like the only place that we have. I keep referencing Walmart. We have Walmart. We have Linz. We have Home Depot. You've met the town. Uh, it's like two restaurants and like 17 hair places. But other than that, <laughs> so that's where I find myself the most. Um, but, you know, if I am there and a kid you know, walks up to me and starts talking to me. I don't know where he's been. I don't know that. That might be the one situation that God has, has led me into walking down the aisle looking for, you know, a package of pasta to run into this kid to be a light and a hope. Like we said, uh, the statistics that just don't travel around, Utah's suicide rate is ridiculously high um, amongst teens specifically, but adults as well. Um, it's just culturally, unfortunately, it breeds just a lot of high expectation. And when kids can't meet that high expectation, and when adults can't meet that high expectation, you know, to provide as a man or whatever this idea is, it leads to a really deep and dark and depressing place. And so we don't know where these people are that we run into. That's why he's calling us to be wise. To be wise towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Time is precious. Jesus could come back tomorrow. I really hope that he would. I don't want teenage girls. Uh, <laughs> Jesus could come back years from now when we're all gone. He could come back. We don't know. We don't know. And we're only given so much time. Are we willing to surrender that time to Jesus? You know, another thing that, and, and last, last thought is, as we close, but another thing that I've, I've been teaching through um, the Gospel of Luke with youth um, on Sunday mornings. And, you know, he talks about to, to take up your cross. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we, we present the Gospel as just Jesus saving us, which is true. The gospel is Jesus dying for us that we might be saved, but it's also calling us to trade our desires, our wants, our lives to him, knowing that he's worthy of having it and that he's going to use our life well.
And I do think that that's one of the hardest things for us as a believer to surrender everything. We don't like singing the I surrender all. You know, there's always the joke, I surrender part, some, that thing, you know. But God's calling us to surrender everything to him that, because it makes sense. You know, Paul says it's a reasonable service. What else would we do? You have an amazing creator God entering his creation. We just, it's, it's Christmas, entering creation in the manger. It's a bunch of stinky sheep and animals and stuff around him. And the first people that meet him are the thieves of the area, the shepherds, ceremonially unclean. They're not the, it's not the kings and, and all that great pomp and circumstance. He's in a, probably a cave, like hiding somewhere in Bethlehem. The scribes are like, yeah, we're pretty sure he's over there, but we don't care. <laughs> you know, like it's not a glamorous entrance. And then he lives as the, oh, he's that kid, you know, because the Mary and Joseph thing and all that stuff going on. You know, like you have a, a, such an accessible Jesus that then lives a perfect life and dies on the cross so that we would have access to God, that we might have relationship with God again. That's really important. That's really, really important. But then now that we have this relationship, what does it look like? It looks like to continue to live our life to his glory, that everything that we would do would be to glorify God, that everything we do would be an act of thanksgiving, an act of submission, an act of worship unto Jesus, the one who gave everything so that we might have a relationship with him. And so Paul encourages us to pray, to be thankful. And as we are praying and as we are thankful that the Lord would give us his wisdom to be salt and light, to be a witness towards the people that we're around. We're not called to hide. We're not called to just hang within our Christian bubbles. We're called to be integrated into communities. For us, it's the entire community because there's not that many people. But for you, it might be your work community. It might be your family. It might be the friends. It might just be the same group of people that shows up at the same place at the same time, often. But God's calling us to be his hands and feet there. And he's going to meet us with his wisdom that we might speak and make manifest what God has already has for us. And so, Lord, as we come before you, Father, we just thank you. Um, we just thank you that you're good. And, Lord, we, we pray for Severe Valley. We pray for ICT. Lord, we pray for our country and our nation, Lord, that you would bring revival. Lord, that you would start with us. Allow us to surrender to you. That you might use us. That we, we might be wise in our conversations and not, not fighting silly battles. But Lord, making clear the mystery of you through our lives and in the lives of others. We pray this in your name. Amen.